0: We can turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Uh, It's not that difficult to see. It's not that difficult to do. But we have to do some certain things, not only in our lives, but also within our churches. So if you have your Bibles, let's read Matthew chapter 9. Start with verse 35. Let's get the whole picture of what's going on. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Verse 37 and 38. Two huge verses when we think about it. As I was studying for the last two weeks ago, and then for this morning, there's two things that jump out. We'll get to them here in a minute. That just kind of blows my mind when we think about what Jesus was really saying to us as a church. I want you to know, like last week, last weekend when I was at family camp, yes, I missed being here, but it was great to be able to sit and listen to five full sermons, you know, and just get to worship a little bit. Uh, not that, you know, I don't get to do that very often, but it was just great to sit back, even though we had 300 people there and we had three different things going on at the same time. I was able to sit and just listen and take in a little bit, listening to Tom and what he had to say. But listen to what he says in verse 37 and 38, especially verse 37. There's a key verse, and it starts with the word then. It says, Then he said to his disciples. That tells us right there that Jesus, he saw. Something it says Jesus felt something, Jesus knew something, and so what he does is he sees these things, and then he calls his disciples into action. He's said, there's a need. And that's what we need to understand. That same need that Jesus activated his disciples about is the same need there is today. The first thing I want you to see in this is simply this: a surprising opportunity. That we have. He says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. It's an encouraging truth. And I think farmers understand this better than city folk because harvest time is what it's all about. And we're into that time. We're into the harvest season. Farmers are starting to take out their beans and take out their corn and understand to a farmer, this is what it's all about. I once heard somebody say, how's your onions doing? He says, I won't know until late April or early May. That's when the onion harvest happens. It's all about the harvest. Everything a farmer does, from the spring plant to the harvest. understand he plants, he prays for watering, he puts weed killer on there, and then he does the hardest thing. He waits. You know, I can't imagine what a farmer does as he puts the seed in the ground and he does everything he's supposed to, waits for the rain, waits for the heat, and then he just sits there and goes, I'm just waiting, just waiting to see if they're going to pop up through the ground. And I haven't known farmers to get so impatient, they go out after three of their days and start ticking the dirt away just to make sure it's sprouting. Why? Because if nothing happens, there's no harvest. And everything is about the harvest. In Mississippi, they have a lot of cotton. Out in Kansas, they have wheat. We have corn and beans around us. But it's the same every year. Harvest doesn't last forever in our seasons. There's a window of time to harvest the wheat, to harvest the corn, to harvest the beans or the cotton in Mississippi. If you don't get there in time, what happens to the harvest? It rots. It rots where it's planted. You see, when harvest times come, you have to be ready to go to the fields. So in other words, our farmers who are sitting here this morning, they can't plan on vacation this time of year. They can't say, Doug can't go ahead and say, you know, I really want to go to Hawaii, and Sharon wants to go, so tomorrow I going to go to Hawaii for four weeks. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, four weeks in Hawaii. But Doug would say, I can't go because I have to get ready for the harvest. And they understand that. So what did Jesus mean? He meant there are many people ready to be harvested for the kingdom. He's telling the disciples, and he's telling us, the harvest is plentiful. In other words, there's people in the world today ready to come to know Christ, to come to know about the kingdom, to come know about forgiveness, and come to know about grace, and about mercy, and about all the things Jesus offers. There are people ready for this very thing. And you see, all around us, there are broken people. In fact, this says here in the scripture, they're bleeding and hurting. In fact, he describes them as sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and they're helpless. They're ripped apart. They're left to die. Remember what we said about the word harassed? It means they were skinned alive, the sheep were. That's what he's talking about. It's a gruesome picture about what harassment means. I spoke about this at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at North Million Thursday, and I told the kids, when you think of harassed, what do you think about? They said, picked on, you know, kind of thing, this bullying thing that goes on. Well, I said, what if I told you harassment was worse than that? They just kind of looked at me, and I gave them what the definition of harassed meant, what Jesus was talking about, and you should have seen the look on their face. And that's the kind of look we should have on people who don't know Jesus Christ because that's how they are. And I'm telling you right here, right now, there's a world full of people ready to be reached if only someone, if only we, will go to the harvest fields. And that's what Jesus is wanting us to understand. He wants us to understand that the people are ready, the world is ready to hear about Jesus Christ, but what are we scared of when we hear that? I'm going to do something I'm not used to. I want to go into a world where I may be made fun of. I'll go into a world where they may even criticize me a little bit. So we don't go because we're afraid. But what I fear more than not is we have people who are close to us, who are within reach of us, that are literally going to hell because we refuse to go. And that's what we're talking about here. Here's the application. Jesus is saying... The fields are always white in the harvest. He's saying there's lost people all around us ready to be saved if only someone will tell them about Jesus. Someone asks ask you, where are the harvest fields today? Where are those harvest fields? Where are the people ready? I'm saying they're right outside of our doors. They're within driving distance. But remember, and what about China? I love the story of what happens in China. It says there's no longer no bigger miracle than happening in the face of the earth than what's happening in China today because it defies all human expectation. There has been a great awakening in China. If you remember back in, I think in 1949, when the communists took over, they expelled all foreign missionaries. And they said at the time, back in 1949, there was around 700,000 Christians or 700,000 believers in that country. And Habakkuk 2:14 says this: For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So even though the communists came in and even though they expelled all the Christian missionaries for decades, no one knew what was going on in China. We just kind of sat back, and I wasn't alive in 1949, so I'm, I'm go by what I read. Nobody knew what was going on. They didn't even know. We didn't even know if the church even survived. But get this, from 1949 to 1980, they found out there was at least 10 million Christians in China. Even though the missionaries had been expelled, even though they were told they couldn't worship, many had to go underground in private to to be able to worship and be able to read the Bible together. And today they say there is as many as 100 million Christians in China. You know what I think a lot of times? I think it would be good for our churches, even in America, to have some regulations put us that said, you can't do this. Just, just because of this, what would we do? It'd make us stand up and fight a little bit. It would get us out of our comfort zone. It would get us out of our seats. It would get us to do something we're not used to. It means that we would have to stand up and fight for our Christianity. We have to fight for our religion. But we don't have to do that in America. We get to come in and sit and we get to have air conditioning. We get to have comfortable pews. We get to have lights unless they flicker, then we you know get blown off course a little bit. But it's one of those deals. We're used to this, we're comfortable to this. But what if the government said, You can't meet anymore as a church? What would we do? We'd start meeting in basements. We'd start meeting in private. We would get together and do it anyway. And I think it would make us grow stronger. The good news and the bad news, the good news is this. It says the harvest is plentiful all over the world. That's the good news. But the bad news, harvest needs workers. We need workers. That's the bad news. So we understand the good news is there's people ready to be saved. There's people ready to hear about Jesus Christ. The bad news is nobody wants to go. Nobody wants to do this. So understand a sad but serious observation. The laborers are few. If you're going to harvest, you have to have harvest workers. Why are there so few laborers in the world today? I'm telling you right here, right now to be a missionary, to go do what Jesus is talking about is not a glamorous job, okay? It's just not. If we're going to become laborers in the harvest, it's going to require some major rearrangement of our priorities and what we do and how we do it in our personal lives. It means we're going to give up some things. It means we're going to do some new things that we're not used to. It's going to mean we get out of our comfort zone, If we're going to do this. Stephen Cole said this. He said, I want to challenge all of us, but especially those who are young, don't throw away your life to achieve the American dream of financial security, early retirement, and a motor home so you can spend your final days driving around to capture the national parks on videotape. He said, spend your life for the only purpose that lasts, to see the nations glorify God for his great mercy in Jesus Christ. And how true is that? You know, don't strive just to be able to get this if we don't bring people with us to know Jesus Christ. A Welsh poet, David White, said it this way. He says, I don't want to have written on my tombstone when finally people struggle through the weeds, pull back the moss, and read the inscription, he made his car payments. You know, I don't want that. I want people to remember me, and hope people want to remember us as a church, as somebody who loved people enough to go find them, to go get them. So we have to ask a question at this point, actually three questions. First one is simply this, what vision is God birthing in our hearts? Is God birthing anything in your heart to do something, to go somewhere? to be somebody, to accomplish something. Another question is this, how are you going to be remembered in life? I mean, if I stand up and do your funeral in this next couple weeks, how are we going to remember you? Yeah, I'm going to say some nice things. You know, I've even been accused of lying doing funerals, you know. Uh, I had one old lady get mad at me because I did this man's funeral, and she goes, He just stood up there and lied. You know? <laughs> I may have stretched it a little bit, but I didn't lie. I didn't like... Do it. It pays <laughs> extra to get the truth out. I'm just saying. But the third question is this How much are we willing to invest? I'm not talking just money, I'm talking personally, I'm talking about ourselves our time, and our effort. So, also I want you to see this. He gives us a serious responsibility. I love what he says. In the NIV it says, Ask the Lord of the harvest. Another translation says, Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And that's kind of unexpected. I would think Jesus would say, The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Go get going. Go do it. But he says, ask or pray to the Lord of the harvest. So what does it mean is this? What it doesn't mean, I truly believe, is, well, let's have the preachers preach dynamic sermons. Let's let the committees make and make great plans. Let the people read books. Let us attend conferences. Let us do all these things. And as great as some of those things are, that's not what he is saying. Jesus does not mention any of these worthy things, but the church's primary response to the needs of life and the world are summed up in one word. One word, and that is pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. I love this idea. The church has simply asked the, Lord, asked the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. So when we decide to pray, when we decide to plea, when we decide to earnestly ask the Lord of the harvest, in other words, we're going to beg, we're going to plead, we're going to ask God to stir us, his people, to become workers in the field. Are we ready for that? I mean, are we truly ready to do something different? Are we, and I'm not saying some of us don't do this, but I don't think we do it enough. I think we kind of hide We have an opportunity, but we fall back a lot of times. Are we truly ready to start to pray about these things? Somebody said it this way. First we pray, then we meet. First we pray, then we sing. First we pray, then we preach. First we pray, then we give. First we pray, then we organize. First we pray, then we go. Did you catch that? Before we do anything else, we pray. We pray to the Lord of the harvest because all things are by him, all things are through him, all things are from him, all things are for him. In other words, everything we do, everything we say, no matter where we go, no matter what we're doing, we do it for Jesus Christ. Because he knows where the seeds need to be planted, he knows when the harvest needs to come, he knows how many workers are needed, and how we are to pray. So what do we pray? Remember what he says? Jesus said we're to ask the Lord of the harvest to what? To send forth workers. This is one of these things that I learned this week, or was reminded of this week. The underlying Greek word conveys a very powerful image. The Greek word for send forth is a word we don't need to really understand, ekbalo, but the word ek part means out. So the first part of that word, ek, is out. The ballo part, B-A-L-O, means to throw. It's like throwing a ball. Okay? That's the image you get. But we actually get the English word ballistic for this word. Okay? Now think about this. He's saying to send out, to throw out, like a ball. But we get the word ballistic of it. It refers to the explosion when the hammer comes down on that gun. What happens? And there's a bullet in it. Boom! it sends that bullet out of the end of the chamber. So that's what Jesus is really saying. We are to pray that God will literally light this fire inside the church, inside us, that will ignite a movement within us, inside many hearts, that will result in people being thrust out of the church into the harvest field of the world. So I guess what I'm saying is this. I love this. We need to pray that God will literally throw out some people of the church. Did you catch that? Josh did. That God throws some of us out in a good way, okay? That we are going out, and it's not one of those ideas where, you know, we ask for somebody, and somebody's sitting there, and we're going to sing 50 verses of in the invitation to him until somebody responds. Okay, so Josh finally says, I'm going to go home and eat lunch. I'm going to go say I'm going to do this. So he comes walking up, you know, yeah, 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 I'll go, Okay. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that we're going to throw them into the world like none other. It's a ballistic type of thing. Lord, throw them all the way to someplace Maybe it's Vietnam, maybe it's Egypt, maybe it's Finland, maybe it's Liberia, maybe it's Great Britain, maybe it's Africa, their inner cities, or maybe to our widows and widowers, maybe it's the single mothers, or to the herding, or to our neighbors, but we are going to get out of our seats, and we're just not going to kind of casually do this. We are going to be thrown out of our seats to get into the world and do what Christ has asked us to do. Somebody prayed a prayer this way. That simply said, Lord, take your people gathered in comfort in this beautiful sanctuary and blast them out of this place into the distant corners of the world. To blast us out. And you know what I think that kind of means to us? I think it kind of means we get so comfortable sometimes as to where we sit, as to what we do, as to kind of what we do as our hobbies that it's almost like we're cemented in a place. In order for us to be moved, something major has to happen, doesn't it? To get us out of that comfort zone, to get us to do something different, and it has to be almost a ballistic type of thing to get us moving. I think that's what God is trying to tell us. We also pray that God will light a fire. And we ought to pray that when God lights a fire, he won't deal from the bottom of the deck Okay, what I mean by that is this. We should pray that God will thrust out and blow out this place the best and the brightest to be representatives for the kingdom of God. There's a lot of times, uh, been a ministry long enough where we've had missionaries in to speak. And when they get up to speak, you can, and we kind of joked. well, we know why they went to the mission field, because they can't preach. You know, and it's sad to say, but that's the way it is sometimes. But they're willing to go, and that's great. But I'm not saying we send those people just because they can't do this. We send the best of the best. And he's exactly right. I think we must pray. I think he has to start with this. We must deepen our own walk with God so that when God calls, we will do something. Okay? Do something. We need to care more than some think is wise. We need to rest more than some think it's safe. We need to dream more than some think is practical. We need to expect more than some think is possible. At something. At something. You see, it's, good, it's a good thing when Christians get interested in prayer. And I'm not saying we're not, okay? Please, please don't get me, take me wrong. But it's so great when churches and Christians and individuals start to really get into prayer because it means a harvest is coming. It means something is going to happen. It means God is getting ready to move his people. So if your heart is stirred up, that's a sign that God is at work in your life and God is getting ready to do something. You may not know what it is. You may not even understand quite what's happening. But God is going to do something. Maybe something you've never done. Let me ask you this are you ready for something in your life? So and we begin to pray, an unusual thing happens. Now I'm not talking about just praying for our meals, you know, rub-a dub-dub, things for the grub. Yeah, God. I'm not talking about those prayers. I'm talking about heartfelt prayers for who we are and who we're becoming, about our church and about our church family, about what we can do as a church, but also about what God can do with us. You see, when that unusual thing happens, when we start to pray, God listens and God answers. He'll listen and he answers. And God begins to answer that prayer. He often begins with us. He'll begin with us. Somebody said, the people who go to their knees to beg God for workers are often the very people God uses to answer their own prayers. Ooh, that's a little scary, isn't it? Not sure if I want to start praying this prayer or not. God, send out workers. God, let's get workers in our church. God, let's do this. And then all of a sudden, God's saying, hey, Kurt, it's you to do this. Maybe it is. In the early 1940s, a young woman named Eva... Logard began attending a church in Oak Brook up by Chicago during the student days at Moody Bible Institute. She said that back then she was part of a prayer group called Go Ye Prayer Fellowship. She said they had been restarting it because the Lord kept calling people from the group to the mission field. Eva graduated from Moody in 1945 and then 62 years later she retired as a missionary overseas. They started praying and God tapped her on the shoulder When Eugene Pearson wrote the message, he offered this version of what we just read. Eugene says it this way out of the Message Bible. What a huge harvest he said to his disciples, but how few workers. On your knees and pray for harvest hands. I love that translation. That seems to me to be perfectly captured the spirit of Jesus' words. Who knows what God will do in the world? I mean, who knows what God is going to do in this church? Who knows what God is going to do in us and through us once we begin to pray? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. If you remember two weeks ago, we started this little series with a prayer, Lord, do things we're not used to. And I'm going to urge you again to pray that prayer in the weeks to come. Open up your life and say, Lord, come in, rearrange it all that I will be a maximum benefit to the kingdom of God. That I will do what you want me to do, God. Don't be afraid. Why? Because we serve a God of grace. He never cheats his children. He won't take advantage of you, but he won't accept the status quo either. He's going to accept something better from us. Lord, do things we're not used to. Start praying that prayer this week and see what God will do. And again, somebody said it this way. So many times we as Christians, so many times we as churches, we have eyes, but we don't see. We have ears, but we don't hear. We have lips, but we don't speak. We have feet, but we don't go. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. He's saying, look, see what's going on in the world. The harvest is plentiful. Just see it. Listen to what our neighbors, listen to what our friends, listen to what our family, listen to what the world is saying to us and hear what we need to do. And yes, we have lips and we need to speak. We need to talk. We need to do what it is and we need to go. So again, I'm going to simply ask you as we close this morning, what is God calling us to do? And maybe you're sitting here right now and you're saying, you know, I'm doing everything I can do. You know, I'm doing this, 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 and this. and I just don't know if I can do anything more. I'm going to sit and ask you to do this. Ask God what God might change in your life. What do we need to do differently? What do we need to bend just a little bit? Maybe to do something greater for God. And that's that's my hope. That's always been my hope for a church, no matter where I've been, no matter what's been going on. It's for us as a church just not to keep the status quo, but to be a church that is so excited about what God has done in our life, what God is doing in our churches, what God is doing in the world, that we want to go out and we want to invite, we want to bring people in, and we start growing, not because this church split, not because people left this church, but because there are people coming to Christ and they're being baptized for the first time. That's true growth. And then what does the Bible tell us to do? make disciples. You see, it's just not about putting somebody in the baptistry and getting them wet. It's just not about that. That's an important part. Don't get me wrong. But if we just leave it at that, we don't make disciples. We don't do what God has called us to do. If we don't bring other people in, then we're really not doing what God has asked us to do. We're really not all that dangerous to the world. We're just another building sitting on property where people gather on Sundays and nothing is ever changing in us so as we see here this morning we go to this invitation hymn you know it's one of those deals we start with ourselves right where we're at lord of the harvest where do you want me to go lord of the harvest what do you want me to do lord of the harvest be careful if you ask send me because who knows where you're going to end up but i guarantee you to be where god wants you